So this morning, I'm going to tell a story. It's a Christmas story, and uh, a couple of years ago, actually, when I first came, we went through the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to the book of Ruth, and we took it over four weeks, one chapter at a time, but I never had a chance to do the review of Ruth. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to look again at the book of Ruth and consider this story. It's a story about uh, not... Jesus specifically, but about his great, 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 so on, grandmother and grandfather, and and about his grandmother, Ruth, who meets a man, Boaz, and the picture of us and Jesus in the story of Ruth and Boaz, and how this sort of story unfolds generations and generations before Jesus, but unfolds in the fields around Bethlehem. It's a story that takes place at Bethlehem and in the fields around Bethlehem. And so it really is a Christmas story. It's about hope, and it's about peace, it's about joy, and it's about love. And it really is the story of Advent. And uh, by telling the story of Ruth in this way, as he has for us in Scripture, God can paint a picture that indeed tells us a great deal about how he works in the world, what his plan of redemption is. And so the book of Ruth was written... Um, probably about the time of King David, because as King David, as you know, was a very famous and popular king in Israel. And um, people probably started asking questions about, you know, who's King David and what's his ancestry and all that stuff. And we have this story of Ruth that was written at that time about the time uh, of, his, of, of where the line of David came from after the time of Judges. And so uh, the story of Ruth, it's only four chapters, and it, each chapter deals uh, individually, the first one I'm showing is about hope and then peace and then joy and then love. And so the book of Ruth really is about the coming of Jesus and the gospel and the, the good news for all people that we have a redeemer and that that redeemer will not fail us. And it's just four chapters and it opens, the first chapter opens with what we would consider a disobedient family. So there's a famine and a struggle has come to them in Israel. They used to live in Bethlehem and they leave and they left the promised land of God and they put their hope in a foreign land. And they went into the land of Moab of all places. And Moab is a land that no Israel Israelites should have found themselves. God had specifically said, do not intermarry, do not mingle with, have nothing to do with the Moabites. They're Baal worshippers, they're Asheroth worshippers, I don't want you to have anything to do with them. And yet the father, Elimelech, takes his family out of Israel and into Moab. And so the story starts with this disobedience. And then uh, it catches up to the point where the mother, Naomi, is actually setting out to return to Israel after Elimelech dies, her husband dies, and then her two sons die who had married Moabite women, and they die, and now it's just Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And Naomi begins the story by putting her hope back in God. She says, I'm going to return to Israel, probably where I never should have left. And she's bringing Ruth and Orpah along with her, her two daughter-in-laws, and as they're returning, setting out to return to Israel, with these Moabite daughter-in-laws who are foreigners and who are widows with no social standing, her one daughter-in-law turns back to her own family and to her own gods and to her own people in Moab. But Ruth sees the hope that Naomi has in the God of Israel. And Naomi's desire is to return where she she belongs, and Ruth wants to know this God of Naomi. She wants to believe in the God that Naomi has put so much faith in. 
And so we see there this one key line in verse 16 of, of Ruth chapter 1. It says, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. And so Ruth puts her hope in God. And she knows that there's nothing for her back home. And there's nothing for her for the rest of her life as a widow and as a foreigner. But she's putting her hope in God. And maybe already the story starts to sound a little bit familiar to you. Because there are times, whether you're a believer now or for a long time, or maybe not even a believer, but there are times, even as believers, where we spend too much time in a land we never should have been in. Right? We turn our backs on God, or we wander away, and we spend time doing things and living in places that we have no business doing. And there's a point in our life when we are in that foreign land, in our Christian walk, when we have to decide whether we're going to turn back and go back to where we should be in God's land and under God's guidance. And so as you read this story, you begin to get a picture of this is the picture or this is the story of how God deals with his people. Even those that have been disobedient, even those that live off in a far country, or maybe those that never knew him like Ruth, a Moabite, who never knew who God was, um, as Graham was talking about, people who had never even heard the name of God before, but now put their hope in him. And so if you're like Ruth or if you're like Naomi and you've been wandering in a far far country, then you have this opportunity like them to return to Israel. You have this opportunity to return to God's people and to put yourself under God's care. And so Ruth puts her hope in God. And the story unfolds. We see what happens. And then that last sentence of the first chapter of Ruth, as Naomi and Ruth put their hope in God and they start back on that road and they're returning to Bethlehem, the last sentence of that of that chapter is that they return and approach Bethlehem and it is the beginning of the barley harvest. It's the beginning of a new satisfaction. It's the beginning of a new sustenance. It's the beginning of a new abundance in their future. And then we get into chapter 2, right? And so Ruth returns with Naomi to enter into the land of God's people where she finds that she has to live by the mercy of God's laws, gleaning in the fields. And she lives by the mercy of a man of God, Boaz, who's very important in this story. And so Boaz, you understand, you have to pick this up, is he didn't run away from God. Boaz is this farmer, sort of agricultural businessman. He has fields around Bethlehem, and he did not leave during the famine, and he did not leave during the time of trouble. He stayed in Bethlehem, and he stayed uh, in God's land, and he worked through uh, the difficulty, and he stayed and cared for his his family and he and he supported his workers and he worked his fields during that time and who follows the law of God that's who Boaz is when we first meet Boaz in chapter 2 here we see he's a godly man he greets his workers with a blessing he says may God be with you and his workers return that blessing to Boaz he's a good man and he and he follows the law of God he allows the women as we continue in that chapter And we read, Boaz allows the women to glean in his fields just as God said his people should. And if you were to go back, it's Leviticus 19.9, and uh, it says, God tells his people, don't harvest your fields right to the edges and don't glean your fields. Leave the edges and leave the gleanings for the widows and the poor and the foreigners in your land. And so here's Boaz, a man of God who's following the law, and he's allowing for this to happen, and you have Ruth, who is benefiting from this. And in verse 8, it explains this. It says, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. 
And then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And again, we stop here and we wonder. Maybe this story is still sounding familiar. And you believers know what I'm talking about because there's a point in our life where we have been far from God. Maybe we've even been rebelling against God. But we know we have not been under the care and under the mercy of God as we should have been and under his law as we should have been. And we wandered far away. And then when we returned to him, we found not anger and not punishment and not penitence. Instead, we found grace. That God had arranged for the people who needed his care and his mercy that he had provided a means for mercy and care. And we find ourselves asking the same question that Ruth is asking. How could it be that we would find favor with God, that he would notice us when we were strangers, when we were far away from him, when we did nothing in our life to show him any glory or any respect or thank him for anything? In fact, maybe we even shook our fist at him and wanted nothing to do with him. And then we come back and we put ourselves under his law and under his care and his mercy, and we find ourselves asking the same question that Ruth is asking of Boaz. Why? Why would I find favor with you when I'm a foreigner, when I have nothing to offer, when there's nothing for me, right? And we never knew you. And yet we find mercy, and we find unexpected safety, and we find peace. And this is the peace that Ruth experiences. She is coming from a situation where she was homeless, where she was uh, a widow, she still is a widow, where she's a foreigner, And she's come into a land where she knows nobody, she has no standing, and now she discovers that here God has prepared a law for her and a place for her that God has hundreds and hundreds of years earlier put it in his people that they would care for widows in this way and that there is a support for her and a mercy for her and a compassion for available to her and she can't understand it and yet she finds that she can actually live under the law of God with God's people and that there is a peace for her. And now this Boaz, Ruth finds out from talking to her mother-in-law later in chapter 2, stay with me now, also happens to be a relative of theirs who has a legal right. In fact, Boaz has the legal obligation to marry her and redeem her situation and bring her into full status as part of the family again. Wow, this is good. right? And now there is beyond just uh, this uh, hope that they have put in God, and this peace that they are beginning to just start to experience during the harvest season of being supplied for and cared for, the hope that they have is starting to be fulfilled, and they're experiencing this peace of God's provision and his plans for him, but they won't experience complete joy until this redemption is complete. But there is still more in store for Ruth and Naomi, and we get to chapter 3, and this is where things get exciting and strange kind of at the same time. Because, you know, it's playing out like a movie script so far, right, if you follow me. You know, you've got the foreign, poor woman. Nobody's going to notice her. She doesn't have any status or anything. And you've got the dashing, rich uh, man who owns all this property. And she just happens to be in his field. And he notices her. And he shows compassion to her. And you're thinking, is he going to, you know, does she like him? And does he like her? And, you know, what's going to happen next? And so it's all playing out perfectly. And things get really exciting and strange here because there's this opportunity that they discover that, that Boaz could redeem Ruth. And then we have this strange incident in chapter 3 where Ruth approaches Boaz and he puts herself completely at his mercy. Ruth approaches Boaz at night and she lays down at the foot of his bed while he is sleeping uh, out on the threshing floor or out in the fields outside of Bethlehem. 
And so you have this quiet night, this starry, romantic night outside of Bethlehem, out in the fields, and Boaz is sleeping there, and Ruth comes out and lays herself down at the foot of his bed and, and, and stays there where he is sleeping. And we have to see what's going on here. And what is going on is the trust that Ruth is placing in Boaz. Because here's the reality. She is completely at his mercy at this point. As a well-respected man of Israel uh, in the community, an elder of the community probably, and she a foreign woman who has no legal standing and is a widower, and she comes at night and lays down with him, he has the perfect right to stand up and say, get away from me, woman, you know, you're trying to tempt me, and this woman is uh, putting me in a compromised situation, and she's affecting my, you know, my righteousness and my standing. And, uh, you know, she could be stoned or she could be put out of the city or anything could happen to her because she has no standing. And Boaz has all of the righteousness and he has all of the justice and he has everything on his side. But by putting herself in this situation completely at her mercy, she is saying to Boaz, I trust your nature. I've come to know the type of man that you are. And I know that you're merciful and that you follow the law and that you are compassionate. And even that I think she knows you love me. And so she puts herself at the feet of Boaz in that compromised position where she has everything to lose if she has judged his character wrong. But she hasn't. She hasn't judged his character wrong. And so we see that uh, as you look here at verse 8, is the key verse, 8 and 9, at midnight the man was startled and turned over and beheld, behold, a woman lay at his feet. And so he said, naturally, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wing over me, your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he says later on, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do just all that you ask. And so she trusted in the nature and the character of Boaz and was not disappointed. Because he is a man of God and is Ruth's kinsman, and because he is a redeemer and because he loves her, Boaz says, I will do all that you ask. Now follow with me whether this story is still starting to track with yours. When you were far from God and you came back and you got under the mercy of God and under the grace of God and he started to, and there wasn't punishment and there wasn't recrimination and there wasn't anger, but instead there was mercy and there was care and there was compassion for you. And you're wondering why would God, a stranger, why would God look to you, a stranger, and have any favor on you? And then when you put yourself at the mercy of God and ask for redemption, he says, I will. Because it's the nature and it's the character of God to not turn away those who put their trust in him. But the important thing that we have to learn here is that we have to approach God in this same way. There is a very important lesson here for us in Ruth of how she approaches Boaz, who, by the way, is a picture of Jesus, and how we need to approach Jesus and we need to approach God. Because a lot of times we try to approach God on our terms, right? We try to negotiate with God a little bit. Right, we we kind of hold back. Like we want your blessing, God. We want to get into heaven and we want your favor, but we also want our stuff on our terms here on earth at the same time. And so we go through, and it might be months, it might be years, of sort of negotiating our relationship with God. And we never put ourselves in the situation that that Ruth is in. We never go to Jesus and we never go to God and we say, you know what, we have no standing. We have no business even being here in your presence. In fact, our very presence near you is an insult 
to your holiness and your righteousness. The only reason that we could possibly be here is if you show us absolute compassion and mercy and redeem us. And we very rarely go to God on those terms. And we spend a lot of our time negotiating with God, saying, well, I'm sort of good enough here, and and you kind of owe me some blessing here and there, and if if I do these things, if I go to church, and if I do these things, then, you know, I'll be all right, but I can keep doing my stuff over here on the side, and I've got some, you know, worth of my own, and, you know, you must be happy with me in this way or that way. It's like, no, no, that's not how you go to God. We have to understand that we go to God completely at his mercy for his redemption because we trust his character. Because we learn from God that he is merciful and that he is forgiving, that God is love and he does love us. And the only hope we have in redemption is nothing in ourselves but a hundred percent the nature and the character of God that he will redeem us if we put ourselves there at his feet. And that's what Ruth does. She puts herself at the feet of Boaz and she completely exposes herself to the fact that he could do whatever he wanted in terms of banishing her from his presence and being fully justified in doing so as a righteous man of Israel. But he doesn't. He redeems her. He says, I will do all that you ask. And so at that point in the story now, in chapter 3, you can just imagine the joy that Ruth must have felt at this point. She put her hope in God, and God did not disappoint. And she had experienced the peace of his provision over the many months of the harvest, under his law and under this lawful man of God that he provided. And now she has fully trusted in Boaz and her prospects are beyond her belief because now she can be married to this wealthy man and she will no longer be a foreigner, excuse me, but she will be an Israelite and make sure that her mother-in-law is provided for and that she will have children and they will be cared for. You can just imagine, like, this night is the best night in her life in recent memory, because everything has now changed for Ruth when Boaz says, I will do all that you ask. She can see it all happening. She's going to be married. She's going to be part of the nation. She's going to have standing. She's going to have wealth. She's going to have kids, everything, joy. But hold on. We're not on the home stretch yet. There's another chapter. It's not enough that Boaz wants to redeem Ruth. Boaz has to be able to redeem Ruth. He has to be the right person and he must follow the law to make sure that she is redeemed legally and he must be able to fulfill the law, not just know the law and follow the law, but have the capability to fulfill the law. And and if so the question is, is Boaz of the right family and does he know the law and can he fulfill the law? And that's what brings us now to chapter 4. It says in chapter 4, Now Boaz had gone up to the gates and sat down there. And to understand what's happening in chapter 4, you have to understand uh, what's going on in actually the whole book of Ruth for that matter, is the whole gospel of Jesus and his relationship to us. And we need to know what the idea is in terms of being redeemed under the law. And this is what Boaz is doing in chapter 4. Boaz gathers the elders at the city gate, and he gets everybody together because everything's done with witnesses. And he goes and he gets this other man who could be a redeemer of Ruth. He says to Ruth, you know, I'll redeem you, but there's another family member closer. And so he goes and gets this other man, and he gathers the elders, and he brings them to the city gate, and he says to the man, he lays it all out, and he says, um, you know, Naomi and Ruth have returned from Moab, and they've got a little bit of property, and they, you know, they do have kinsmen, and so you can redeem this, of, you can redeem their property. And uh, the man says, yeah, I'll do it. 
And you're thinking, great, it's all ruined, right? Ruth is not going to get together with Boaz because this guy's going to do it. But then Boaz says, but wait a minute. If, if you redeem her property, uh, you also have to marry Ruth because it's in the law of God as well that if a, a woman dies, or sorry, if a woman's husband dies and she's childless, then it is the duty of his brother to marry her so that she can continue the, brother, the brother's line of children and continue the family. And so this other man, when, when, when Boaz explains this to the other man, he says, well, I want her stuff, but I don't want her. And, uh, you know, I got my own kids to take care of. And if I inherit, if I bring her family into my family, then my eventual estate, they, they're, they're part of my family now, so my estate would be diluted with all of her kids. And that means it would impact my kids. And so all of a sudden he realizes that he, he, he liked all the stuff that Ruth had, but he didn't necessarily love the idea of paying the cost of what it would cost to redeem Ruth. But in Boaz, Boaz says, I will redeem Ruth, and I will pay the cost. It doesn't matter what it costs. I will pay the cost in order to redeem Ruth. And so Boaz is this kinsman redeemer who loves Ruth and because of his love for Ruth is willing to pay the price to redeem her. And so here we have in the picture of Boaz this idea, this this picture of a man of God who follows the law, who knows the law, who is of character that he will redeem this foreigner who has put herself at his mercy. And then not only does he know the law and can follow the law, but he's willing to fulfill the law and pay the price of the law in order to redeem her and in order to make her part of the nation of Israel and part of his family. And so we actually have a picture of this in, in, uh, in Jesus And if you fast forward to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, we have a picture of Jesus who says in Colossians, Paul is talking about our Redeemer, Jesus. And he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so you see that Really, this, this story about Boaz and this story about Ruth is actually a story about us and a story about Jesus embedded into the great, 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 great grandfather and grandmother of Jesus. It's a story of a foreigner, a woman with no standing, who comes into and puts herself under the care of God and his law and his people. And a righteous man, Boaz, who has the ability to follow the law and the ability to pay the price of the law in order to redeem her so that she is restored. And we have to put ourselves in that same situation with Jesus. That in Jesus we have someone who is righteous, like Boaz was righteous, but beyond the righteousness of Boaz. And that he came in order to live the life and to fulfill the law in a way that we can't fulfill the law. And not just live the life and fulfill the law in the way that we can't fulfill the law, but willing to pay the price that the law demands in order to redeem us. And so we're like Ruth, and Boaz is like Jesus. And the question is simply whether we are going to put ourselves at his feet the way that Ruth put herself at the feet of Jesus. Whether we are going to approach Jesus with that same humility that Ruth had. 
whether we are going to put our trust in him that he is fully righteous and that he is fully able and that he is fully willing to meet all the demands of the law and that he has already paid the price that is required to redeem us so that we can become part of the family, so that we, even though we are foreigners and far off from God, can come close and be adopted by him and be redeemed. In, the, in Jesus, accepting the role of redeemer, everything that has needed to be done to bring us close to God has been done. All we have to do is approach Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul encourages them, explaining that Jesus was more than just a nice guy who wanted to redeem them. He actually was able to redeem them in the sight of God and that he could take their debts on himself by being nailed to the cross. In other words, God has fulfilled his own law through his son. The law of God couldn't be ignored. It had to be fulfilled, just like with Ruth. You can't just get around the law. It's got to be done. And so God's law couldn't be ignored. It had to be fulfilled. And there was no hope of us ever fulfilling it, just like with Ruth. There was nothing Ruth could do to fulfill the law on her own. She was completely at the mercy of Boaz to fulfill the law. Ruth needed a redeemer to lawfully rescue her and her family line. And we need a redeemer to lawfully rescue us. And Jesus is that redeemer. And so you see in the story of Ruth, oh, and just so you know, they do get married, okay? And they have kids. And one of their kids ends up being, you know, the great, 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 one less grandfather of Jesus. And, uh, you know, David and then down to Jesus. So, so I didn't want to leave you hanging there. Um, yeah, it all, it all works out after the city gates. And, uh, and uh, they do get married. But, but you have to understand that that, that that picture of redemption that's in Ruth that's painted for us is exactly the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are Ruth, Boaz is Jesus. We are the foreigners. We cannot redeem ourselves. But God has given us a redeemer way ahead of us even knowing that we needed one. He's given us a redeemer that is, loves us, is willing to pay the price, is able to pay the price, and has paid the price under the law to make sure that we can be restored to the family of God. And so I don't know where that story resonates with you. I don't know whether you're like Naomi, who used to know God, and you've wandered and spent time in places you never should have been, and maybe need to come back under the care and the mercy of God and find the forgiveness and the mercy and the compassion and the comfort that's there, because he has already provided it for you. Or maybe you're more like Ruth. You never knew God. You're a Moabite. (laughs) Never even knew who he was. But you're here this morning and you just decided, you know what? I've heard about this God and I'm going to go find out about him and I'm going to put my hope in him. And I'm going to see whether what I find there. I'm going to see whether he's trustworthy and whether he has done everything that he said he's done. And wherever you are, wherever this story resonates with you, the end answer is the same. Put your hope in God. Find your peace in his compassion and his mercy. Trust in his nature that he will redeem you. And he has through his son Jesus. All you have to do is come to him and ask for his salvation and his redemption. And he will accept you because he loves you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for this message through Ruth. And there's so much more. This is just a flyover of all four chapters. But you have prepared the way for us. You've prepared the way by your law and you've prepared the way by your Redeemer to fulfill the law. And you've prepared a way for us if we simply ask to be welcomed into your family. And so, Lord, help us with that. We need to learn the lesson of Ruth. It takes humility, Lord. We have to humble ourselves. 
to accept your grace and accept your compassion and accept your mercy and to live by it. And then beyond accepting your grace and your compassion and your mercy and living by it, we have to put ourselves at your feet and ask that you accept us, not through any worth of our own, because we have none to offer you. There is nothing that Ruth could offer Boaz. She was not wealthy. She had nothing to commend her. She was a foreigner. She was a widow. And yet she put herself at his mercy. And as an image of you, he accepted her. And so, Father, as we come to you and we come before the cross of your son Jesus, we have to remember that we are the foreigner. We are the widow. We are the one with nothing to offer. And that you accept us because it's in your nature to love us. We are your children. And so, Lord, we just humble ourselves now. We consider, even at this Christmas season, what you did through your son Jesus, that you sent him in order to be born and to live among us as a man in order to suffer, in order to experience uh, what we experience, and yet throughout his life bring glory to you. And then finally, Lord, to die on a cross in order to redeem us by his blood, that the law could be fulfilled, that the animosity between us and you could be settled, and that we could become fully part of your family, and once redeemed, never have to look back because we're part of your family. And so, Lord, that is our prayer. Even as we prayed at the congregational prayer, we pray for the people in our families and the people in our lives that don't know this salvation, that have not experienced this joy, that don't know the love that you have for us, the love that passes all understanding that your own son would come and die in order to redeem us who have nothing to offer you. Lord, we pray that they would get that message this Christmas. We pray that that would easily come to our lips that we would just be so joyful in who Jesus is and what you have done that it would just spill over into our conversations. And we pray that as we live as your children, that that message of compassion and mercy and forgiveness and love would play itself out through our own lives so that it attracts people like Ruth who need to know you and that they find in us the same love and mercy and compassion that they will find in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.